0: Amen. Take your copy of God's Word this evening and turn with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 17. Acts 20, beginning in verse 17, hear now the word of Christ. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy, and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent, of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Thus far, the reading of God's word, and together we say Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Now, living Lord, we pray that your word, which is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, may once again pierce our hearts and minds, that you may cause us to be changed by your word this evening, helping us, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. We've said this before, perhaps you've thought of it. Acts chapter 20, verses 17 and following is one of those encounters in Scripture that is a very moving scene For in this passage, Paul, the Apostle, has his final encounter with a set of elders. Yes, boys and girls, elders like we spoke of this morning. Pastors, the leaders of the church, this time in the city of Ephesus. What does he say to them? What are his instructions? Actually, in this final encounter with the Apostle Paul, we find marching orders for elders, and for the church of Jesus Christ. Because in these final words, we see what are Paul's final words to these elders. A little background might be helpful here. We are in the city of Ephesus, or that's the city where these elders come from. And Ephesus is a city where Paul spent two to three years. If you were to journey back one chapter... Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, you will read these words. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years. So that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Paul spends between two and three years in Ephesus. Years of extensive teaching. Later we read this in Acts chapter 19, verse 20. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. And then if you were to continue to read, you will note that a riot breaks out in Ephesus. And Paul must leave, and he goes to Macedonia and to Greece. But here in our text, he has one final encounter with these Ephesian elders. These would be the elders, plural, of the church of Ephesus, singular. And Paul's final words help us to see a vision for the church and for its leaders. I want us to see, as we did this morning, three headings or points from our text this evening. If Paul were to leave with final words, what might they be? Well, as we summarize this text together, I think the first was that the church of Christ and her elders must be selfless in following Christ. Selfless in following Christ. Right from the very beginning, he recounts his journey. Look at verse 19. He says, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. Paul describes a time of ministry in the church as a time of tears and trials, but he says that he served the Lord with humility. Tom Schreiner writes these words regarding humility. Quote, Smooth relations in the church can be preserved if the entire congregation adorns itself with humility. When believers recognize that they are creatures and sinners, they are less apt to be offended by others. Humility is the oil that allows relationships in the church to run smoothly and lovingly. Pride gets upset when another does not follow our own suggestions. End quote. Paul demonstrates a selflessness in following and serving Christ. A selflessness, a humility in the midst of tears and trials. But it wasn't just tears and trials. See what kind of descriptors he uses that mark the kind of work that he's speaking of. Look at verse 23. He says this, Except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await for me. Think of this. The website of a local church like ours, or the front sign, come join us in following Christ where chains and tribulations await. It doesn't really sell in a modern world, does it? But Paul describes the ministry that he has been called to and the ministry that he wants these elders to emulate as one of selflessness in following Christ, tears and trials. Chains and tribulations that at least await him and perhaps these Ephesian elders. You know, some of these tears might be tears at the hand of persecution. When pain comes, when jail cell encounters occur, when rejection by the lost world happens. Some of the tears may be seeing people who you thought were believers walk away from the faith. Some of the tears may be tears at the grave of a brother or sister. The tears and trials may be different, but if these elders are going to follow Christ and if they're going to follow Paul's example and be an example to the flock at Ephesus, they must be willing to be selfless in following Christ. Notice verse 24, the theme verse, if you will, of Paul. But none of these things move me, Nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy, and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Other English translations perhaps bring this out even more clearly. Paul is not saying that tears and trials don't matter, or that chains and tribulations don't matter, but that he essentially doesn't count his life as dear to himself, only that he may finish his calling and his race with joy and the ministry which he's received from the Lord to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul is saying, you want to be an elder, Ephesians? You, you, You want to lead the church of Christ? Do you count your life precious to you? Because if you do... If you're selfish, if you're not willing to lay your life down, it's not going to go well. The model, the pattern that Paul gives to these elders, the final seminary class lecture, selfless in following Christ. And you know, brothers and sisters, I think verse 24 could be a theme verse really for all of our lives. We may not all be called to preach the gospel, but isn't there a sense in which all of us should consider finishing our race with joy you know some of us are younger and some of us are older and then there are those of us in the room like myself who are in the middle but who are increasingly feeling the aches and pains of being older but if you spend your time around christians who've walked with christ for decades one of the things that i've heard them say over and over is that increasingly they just want to finish their race well whether you're an elder or whether you're a layperson, is this a theme verse for you? It doesn't need to be your favorite verse in the Bible. But are you willing to say with Paul, I do not count my life dear to myself simply or just so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I've received from the Lord Jesus? Whatever he's called me to, I just want to be faithful. Paul would say to these elders by way of example, remember my example and be selfless in following Christ. But secondly, as we consider Paul's final words to these elders, there's a sense in which he says that the church of Christ must be surrendered to the word of Christ. Surrendered to the word of Christ. He picks this theme up back in verse 20. He says, after saying he served the Lord with humility, that there were tears and trials, he says in verse 20, How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. Paul, living his life among those that he's teaching. Notice what he says How I kept back nothing that was helpful. Paul doesn't mean pithy statements of wisdom, he doesn't mean his own opinions about the next election or the cultural issue of the day. He means, I kept back nothing of the truth of God's word from you. The focus here is on truth and doctrine. Paul says elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 9.16 that he wanted to know nothing among that church except Christ and him crucified. Leading the Puritan Matthew Henry to write these words, quote, he was, that is Paul, true Christian evangelical preacher. He did not preach philosophical notions or matters of doubtful disputation, nor did he preach politics or intermeddle at all with affairs of state or the civil government, but he preached faith and repentance, the two great gospel graces, the nature and necessity of them. These he urged. Paul didn't want them to lack any of the word of God. We'll see in just a moment in verse 27 that he describes this as giving them the whole counsel of the word. But notice this was a teaching ministry that was public and house to house. We're not given all of the details of house to house. But it wasn't as though the Apostle Paul came into town, gave a few sermons, and then left and went to his hotel room, and then came back into town and gave another sermon or two and then left. No, Paul lived his life among these people and he taught them privately and publicly and the elders were to do the same. Now notice in verse 21 testifying to Jews and also to Greeks repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Here is the response to the gospel isn't it? Faith and repentance. I know we often speak of these things from this pulpit, beloved, but let me just remind us again, for it is never too much to say. We can never repeat this enough. The gospel is what Christ has done. You can read a summary of it in 1 Corinthians 15. If you were to be asked what the gospel is, the gospel is Christ dying for sins. You could say that the gospel is the good news that Christ was sent to live a perfect life and to die on a cross and to pay the penalty for sinners to be buried, to be raised on the third day, having conquered sin's claim over any who are in him. This is the gospel. It's what Christ has done. Our response to the gospel is to be faith and repentance. Let me say it this way. Boys and girls, you praying and asking Jesus in your heart is not the gospel. You may pray and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross for me. You've said that if I come to you and trust in you, you will receive me. And so I'm coming to you. That's what you're responding to, boys and girls. You are... Showing faith. Many of you believe that Jesus died for sinners. Many of you believe that you are a sinner. Many of you even believe that Jesus died for you. This is called faith. And repentance is when you turn. It's when by the Spirit's aid you turn from sin and self and turn to Christ through the gospel. This is faith and repentance. Paul is preaching a gospel And proclaiming the needed response of trust and faith in Jesus and repentance from sins. It's really how the book of Mark opens. Well, Paul continues to discuss this surrendered life to the word. Look at verse 26. There we read this. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Notice that Paul is innocent, he says, because he has proclaimed the whole counsel. You ever wonder why sometimes you go to a church and the preachers do strange things like preach from the Old Testament? or they preach verse by verse through books of Scripture, or they help us to see that stories like David and Goliath are not just about men and moral lessons alone. That that David and Goliath fit together with Christ and the conquering of all his enemies, namely the Antichrist. You ever wondered why we walk through passages of Scripture sometimes, like we did this morning, where we talk about things about how the church is to be ordered or how we're to consider suffering in the face of the world around us? It's because God has given us a full word, a whole council, and Christ's ministers are charged with proclaiming the whole council of God's word. And, brothers and sisters, if ever there was a time for the need, for the whole word of God to be proclaimed. Ours is that time. Now, Paul is aware, as we'll see in the next two verses, that false doctrine comes when people are not taught the word of Christ. But before we look at that false doctrine, notice what he says. I am innocent of the blood of all men. Think about this. Paul isn't just being cute here. He's not just giving some kind of snazzy tweet about ministry. He actually believes that his task is one in the proclamation of the word, and his task was unique in being one of the apostles to lay that foundation for the church, upon which generations and centuries of elders would proclaim the truth. But he actually believes that work as a task to be one that involved the weight of, Of human souls such that he can say I've given you the word so I am innocent of the blood of you all Paul didn't think I want to preach I want to teach Paul to his core thought there are souls hanging in the balance And if I don't give the people the word of God, if I don't lay the proper foundation, then I might be guilty. And this guilt connects in some way in Paul's mind to the blood of all men. So he says, I'm innocent because I've given you the whole counsel. I haven't held anything back. How easy it is in our day for preachers to hold things back. For elders to hold things back. Maybe it's fear of man. Maybe it's a desire to be liked. Maybe it's not wanting to ruffle feathers. Of course, there are plenty of examples in former days and our days where people just love to ruffle feathers without considering the weight of souls. Paul can say, No, I, I have given you the whole counsel of God's word. Now, notice what he says next. He ties this to savage wolves that will come in. He says in verse 29, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch. My warning to you, Paul would say to these elders is that I'm commending that you be submissive and surrendered to the word of God so that false doctrine will not destroy the church. But in the midst of this discussion, he gives another weighty passage. Verse 28. Notice what he says there. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased With his own blood. Now we referenced this passage this morning in our sermon on 1 Peter chapter 5. You could say that Acts 20 verse 28 is another set of marching orders. Or another description of the job description of pastors and elders. Boys and girls there in many English translations the word overseer is used. It might be a little confusing. Overseer? Pastor? Elder, sometimes even the word bishop, those are all words for the same office. Paul's talking about elders here. And notice what he says. Elders are to do two things in their watching. Watch themselves and watch the flock. Notice who we're to watch first. Watch yourselves. Take heed to yourselves. And to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. It's actually the Holy Spirit of God that makes a man an elder. And he uses the church of Jesus Christ to recognize that. Notice he says, you're to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Brothers and sisters, this is another weighty passage for elders and pastors to consider because here we see that the people of Christ have been purchased. They are a blood-bought people. This is who elders and overseers are to shepherd. Blood-bought people. You, Christian, are a blood-bought, a blood-purchased believer. This is who you are. Maybe you came in tonight and this is confusing to you. What does this mean? Well, it means that God has redeemed sinners, people who've rebelled against him. He sent his son who assumed flesh. He put on our flesh, became man, and lived a perfect life, perfectly obeying God's law, and died on the cross. And as he died, he shed his blood to pay the ransom for all the people who would ever trust in him. Thus, Paul can say, Christians are people purchased. Now notice, it's interesting, isn't it? That God purchased people with his own blood. Now boys and girls, if you remember any of your catechism, God is a spirit and does not have a body like men. God does not have blood. So what blood is spoken of here? Well, it is the blood of Jesus, who is God. And so Paul is not wrong. God has purchased the church with his own blood. Adults, this is where I think our confession is very helpful in chapter 8, when it reminds us that Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, truly God and truly man, sometimes is spoken of according to his divinity and sometimes is spoken of according to his humanity. It helps us to get the doctrine of Christ correct. But notice the weight of eldership. Watching oneself, constant watch, care of the flock, and continued word ministry. These elders and the church that they shepherd were to be selfless, in following Christ and they were to be surrendered to the word of Christ now as we continue in our text notice what Paul says next verse 32 so now brethren I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul's Focus was the heavenly kingdom and not earthly gain. But did you see what he commended them to in verse 32? I commend you to God and to the word. Just this past week, our brother Blake and I were seeking to put together a few thoughts, these little nuggets of recordings that we make available as our church is walking through the confession, and we talk specifically about this phrase, ordinary means of grace, what that is, briefly. You have one thing, Paul, to tell elders that you're not going to see again. What do you say? You have one thing to give them. What do you give them? I, Paul, who will not see you again, the Paul who is going to leave you, and the Holy Spirit testifies, I will experience chains and tribulations. The one thing that I commend to you is the word. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. We often use the phrase ordinary means of grace. It's the regular means that the Lord uses. Paul commends these elders to word ministry, ordinary word ministry to preaching and sacraments among the people he confidently gives them over to God and he says these words that the word of his grace is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified the means the word is characterized as having the ability to build up an individual. Now this phrase, word of his grace, is this just the gospel? Or is it the entire Bible? Well, certainly it is the gospel, the word of Christ, the word of his grace. There's a primary focus there, yes. But it is the word of Christ as revealed in the entirety of the word. And notice he calls them sanctified. It's able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Believers are called sanctified. They are set apart, but they are those who are being sanctified. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says that sanctification is God's will for the believer. Maybe you come to church and you think, I wonder what God's will is for me this week. Well, if you really want to know, chiefly, his will, according to 1 Thessalonians 4.3, is that you be sanctified. <laughs> but isn't this what Jesus prays for in John 17.17? He prays for believers, the disciples, and ultimately all those who will believe in him through their word down through the ages. And do you know what he prays? That we might be, quote, sanctified in the word. Paul is commending us to the very right thing, the word. What is the message for the church, for her leaders? Well, we are to be a people who are selfless in following Christ, and we are to be a people who are surrendered to his word. And sometimes other things have to be rooted out that get in the way. And and there are times where where people come and and they visit they might love the singing or the preaching. They might love the smile on our faces, but, but they're looking for more. They might be looking for the programs that match their last church or a calendar full of activities or a basketball court or a coffee shop in the commons of the church building. And sometimes these can be wonderful blessings that the Lord gives you'd have to convince me about the coffee shop. But brothers and sisters, Paul knew of no such thing. The church is commended to the word. We're to be surrendered to the word. That is to be our goal. Week in and week out, the ordinary means of grace. Everything else gives way in the life of the church to the ministry of the word. Well, there's a third thing, and briefly we'll close with this, that Paul commends these people to, these elders. As they go back, it's a tearful encounter. Notice what he says next, or what the text says in verse 36. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. It's really a heartbreaking scene. If you're prone to tears, this could be one of them. The man that has shepherded these elders and the entire church, building a foundation, he is going to be seen by them no more. And he encourages them. What does he encourage them with? Well, look at just the two verses prior. Verse 34. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. A third component that should mark the church of Jesus Christ is that we are to be a people who serve the people of Christ. Notice that phrase there, helping the weak. And then Jesus is given. Paul gives Jesus as an example. When he says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So these elders are told not only that they must be selfless, and by implication to lead the church to be the same. Not only that the word is to be central, that they're to be surrendered to the word, but they are to be a people who are serving the people of Christ. That they are to support the weak. He says in verse 35, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. Undoubtedly, there would be those who had physical needs and physical weaknesses in the church. But there would be those that would have spiritual weaknesses. And here, these elders who should be selfless, like Paul, and laying their lives down for the body, should be willing to help the weak. Now, as you assess your own life this evening, it's important for us to consider that these instructions are for these elders. The elders are to lead the church at Ephesus in this way. As you consider your own life this evening, where might there be a selfishness that needs to grow into increasing selflessness in the service of Christ, particularly in the church? Where where might there be the need, by God's grace, through the voice of our loving shepherd, prodding you on to surrender more fully to the word? to continue to grow in appreciation for how the Word exists here in this place. You know, we are a strange people. We're strange to many Christians because we sing psalms. We, we sing psalms. We sing the Word. Our sermons are very rarely shorter than 30 minutes, and, and that would be really short. We have two services each week. That doesn't make us better Christians. But it is a dying culture in Christianity. What if growing in love for how Christ is using his word here in this church, of which you are a part, would be an important thing in the days and weeks and months ahead? Increasingly surrendered to the word. Hey, I, I... I want to sacrifice, if you could call it that, more of my time. If my church is going to have two services when I am able, I want to try to be there because Christ's word is going to be proclaimed. I'm going to be able to sing the truths of Christ's word with people who've walked through valleys and mountaintops in this week prior. Brothers and sisters. Let us increasingly love the fact that we have the freedom by his grace to grow and to hear his word. And then thirdly, where might there need to be a growing love for serving the people of Christ? You know, until Christ comes back, we will regularly be struck, perhaps even convicted, that there are more people that we can serve. But the primary people that Christ has put into your life, aside from your family and your house, believe it or not, are the people in this room. Oh, there are co-workers, there are brothers and sisters, perhaps at the workplace Bible study, there are brothers and sisters that you know of from other churches, but if you are in this area in God's providence and you are regularly attending this church, particularly if you are a member, then interestingly enough, in God's sovereign hand the chief people that he's put in your life, some of whom are weak, that need to be served, are here. How might we prayerfully consider serving the people of Christ here in this place? They hug and they fall on Paul's neck, tears flowing down, sorrowful because they will not see his face again. And they accompany him To the ship. Now we're not told, but how long do you think they stood there watching his ship sail off into the sunset? How long before one of them said, Well, brothers, let us go? Paul's final words to these Ephesian elders are of great value to elders they are of great value to the church. Because here, Paul says, I've got one final conversation with some Christians. And I'm not going to see them again. What do I leave them with? Hey, consider the call to being selfless in the service of Christ. Consider the need to be surrendered to the word of Christ. Christ. And don't forget to serve the people of Christ. Let's pray. Living God, we ask that you would move and work in our hearts in this regard, that we would increasingly heed the counsel of your word from this text. We thank you for how this church is growing in these things and we pray that you would continue to grow us in this. Help our elders, help our members. May Christ be glorified in our midst as a church. We pray that you would make us more selfless. And you might cause us to be more surrendered to your word and help us to be a people who delight in serving the people for whom Christ died. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.